Paul opened my can for me, so I can't do the thing. Yeah, sure. Hi, I'm Rachel McElroy. Hi, this is Griffin McElroy. And this is wonderful. There's a show where we talk about things that are good, things that we like, things that we are into. You probably know already um, that I am very into the Cheesecake Factory's chicken piccata <laughs> because I realized moments before walking out here that it is all over my shirt. <laughs> I thought you were going to reference that we are also very into D.C. because we live here. Now. Oh, that's true. We do live here. And let me, let me tell you, because we get out a lot. <laughs> We have discovered this really charming, delicious bistro. <laughs> uh, and they, it's like Italian slash Tex-Mex slash sort of uh, East Asian slash hamburger slash. It's called the Cheesecake Factory. Mm-hmm. But when you hear factory, you think like, oh, this must be, you know, like a real blue collar establishment. You would think that. Mm-hmm. No. <laughs> Anything but. Um, hi, we moved to Washington, D.C. in August. We are, I would say, old souls here now. <laughs> We've been all over. The Cheesecake Factory. <laughs> Build-A-Bear Workshop. A lot of, like, in industry uh, here. How comfortable are you saying DMV now? Not. <laughs> Not at all. Yeah, in the same way. District, similar. I can't. No, I'm yeah. not ready yet. The Dece. <laughs> yeah, does anyone say that? Does anyone say the Dece? <laughs> you do now. <laughs> um, if you, who here has not listened to our podcast before? Don't be ashamed. Wow, all right. All right. Were people booing the people who were cheering, or was that like a woo? Don't, we don't need this sort of rivalry now, <laughs> more than ever. Um, it, we really do just talk about things that we like and things that are good. And when we do live shows, we tend to do local goods. And that is going to be the case today. We are going to tell you the best things about yourself, Washington, D.C. <laughs> We've interviewed all of your friends and family. True. And we got their feedback, and we've compiled it into three short segments each. Yeah. Uh, we did not talk to your friends or family. We can't be bothered. Uh, we played rock, paper, scissors backstage to determine who mm-hmm. goes first. I won. <laughs> Rachel always throws rock. <laughs> yeah, I do. <laughs> it's so easy, because you're already like this. Yeah. And then you just stay there. Um. I will admit this. I hope nobody took a photo of me doing that just now. (laughs) You're looking super angry. Um, I did find that I I came up with a couple things that I love dearly about DC. Are we going to do Small Wonders? Oh, shit. I can't believe I forgot Small Wonders. I figured when I talked about the chicken piccata at the Cheesecake Factory that that would qualify as my Small (laughs) Wonder. (laughs) And that's Evergreen, too. You could talk about that any day. Uh, Uh, I am really enjoying this beverage here from Peabody Heights Brewery. 
That's my that's my small wonder. That's great. Um, I'm going to give a shout out uh, at the Detroit airport. I had a long layover today. Sat down in a massage chair. And folks, massage chair technology has advanced. <laughs> Maybe it was during COVID. Less people were getting out there using massage chairs. So they were able to take a, a few of them back to the shop. <laughs> this thing had infl- inflatable sort of cushions on the inside that were hot and it felt like there were marbles in it. <laughs> okay. I want to talk about <laughs> I want to talk about this first segment. I want there to be like a campfire that I can throw the dust into. I hope nobody took a picture when I was doing the <laughs> throwing dust into a campfire motion because it definitely looked like something else. Submitted for the approval of the Midnight Society. I want to talk about the Capitol Crypt. Ooh. Y'all have some silly stuff here. You know, but there's a crypt in the Capitol building, and they use it for, like, the launch pad for a lot of tours and things, so a lot of people here are like, yeah, the Capitol Crypt, duh. There's also an empty tomb that they wanted to bury George Washington in, but they didn't. So it's, it's still just open and empty? Maybe. <laughs> they built the Capitol. They started building it in 1793 when old, old G-Dubs himself was still around. He laid the first stone, so he was <laughs> complicit. That's pretty dark. Like, b- build your own grave, George. <laughs> well, in 1799, after he beefed, the building designers <laughs> went to Martha and were like, hey, can we put George in a special tomb underneath the Capitol building. And she was like, let me check his will. It says no, but I think it would be pretty cool. So let's, <laughs> let's do the damn thing. But then, uh-oh, War of 1812 happens. Capitol building gets all burned it up, and that's embarrassing for everyone. <laughs> so they didn't finish the central like rotunda of the Capitol building until 1827, at which point the designers were like, they got out their IOU for one George Washington bones. And they were like, hey, let me get that presidential body, please. And then the then owner of Mount Vernon was like, uh, gross. <laughs> And George Washington's will was like, ew, no, gross. What's wrong with you? Stop. Uh, So they didn't move the bod. And so they had this empty tomb. In 1830, somebody, have you heard about this thing, man? Someone tried to steal George Washington's skull from Mount Vernon in 1830. No, I don't know about that at all. I blame those fucking national treasure movies. Is that, that like your Twitter bio, like minute one? Like, I believe those National Treasure movies. Yeah, that's my, that's, <laughs> I actually just got back on Twitter because it seemed like a cool time to yeah, do that. The time. <laughs> they ended up stealing someone else's skull from Mount Vernon, which is one of the wilder parts of this story. But then Congress was like, see, you can't be trusted with these famous bones. Put them in our great tomb. But then John Washington was like, I'll just put more security in. So that's what they did. They didn't end up getting it. They did not get George Washington's body. So the tomb lay empty. Uh, But it wasn't a total loss because they used the crypt for a bunch of stuff. In the late 1800s and early 1900s, they used the Capitol Crypt for bike parking, which rules. (laughs) 
It's so roomy, you know? It's so spacious. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah. I want to do a quick sidebar and give a shout out to the Capitol Building also has its own cryptid, the Demon Cat. Um, Y'all also know that this is a a big nothing burger, right? Because the the, the story of the the Grimalkin, I don't know if I'm saying that correctly, which is also a great great term. In 1862, Union soldiers were like holding down the, the fort and the fort was the Capitol building and some one of the like night watchmen reported seeing a black cat that approached him that grew to the size of a tiger before pouncing, causing the soldier to open fire. But then the demon cat disappeared. And then it's like, so you, a cat turned the corner and you got a little bit scared. Listen, tensions are high. I get it. I get why you would shoot when you saw even the littlest bit of movement, but that was a little kitty cat. You didn't have to make a whole ghost story up about it. So it's like still a thing? There's like a painting of it or something? Like what? Well, apparently it comes out in times of national crises. But I would, I would argue that I would argue that probably cats also appear at the Capitol building, not around times of national crises. Yeah. So it's a law of large numbers thing. What is your first segment today? My first thing. Okay, so as I mentioned, or as Griffin mentioned, we moved here in August. Yeah. Uh, and when we moved here in August, I heard about something called Chuck Brown Day, okay. which led me to go-go music. So I wanted to talk about that. Okay, please. Mm-hmm. Go-go music? Go-go music. Okay. That's uh, what I shout when I get really excited about the music that's playing. <laughs> Go music! <laughs> um, go ahead. I interrupted yeah. you for nothing, for literally nothing. Uh, so this is something that... Um, I mean, I was familiar with, but I didn't know I was familiar with, uh, because it is everything. It is jazz, it is funk, it is R&B, uh, there is call and response, there is groove. God, I love groove. Yeah. I love when groove is in it. Yeah. <laughs> um, and there's percussion and cowbells and, and it's, it's, I mean, it's everything. I don't know how you would have groove without percussion. That's a good point. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and so in my, in my research into Groove is how I found Chuck Brown. Okay. Um, and D.C. DC local in a, big, in a big, big way. 70s and 80s is kind of when he came on the scene. Uh, and I wanted to play a song that apparently plays uh, at Capitals and Nationals games. And that song is called Bustin' Loose. My laptop just died. Uh Uh-oh. How am I gonna finish the show? I don't know. Can you appreciate the music, though? Absolutely, I can. While I have a panic attack on stage. I've had a dream like this once. This is a jam. Oh, Paul, please. I have it on. I got the phone. It's fine. Thank you. I got 15% on the phone. I know. Sorry, I'm walking all over this bit. (laughs) This is a great, great track. That's good, Paul. Thank you. I feel ready to watch some sports right now. 
Uh, so Chuck Brown is considered the godfather of go-go, um, and that's because he created this kind of music that was a combination of blues and jazz and gospel and soul, and he was a huge fan, apparently, of James Brown. And I came to know the song Bust and Loose from a 2002 song uh, created by my hometown hero called Hot and Her by Nelly. Yes. Mm-hmm. Is, are we about to hear Hot and Her? Or are you just, okay, well, listen, when you leave a pregnant pause like that, I expect at any moment Nellie is going to, like, jump on stage. I've uh, never been so disappointed. I'm so sorry. It's okay. I, get, I mean, I could get Nellie. If like, this was a St. Louis, yeah, right, you could probably, actually. I could get Nellie. Uh... So yeah, so so Chuck Brown is celebrated here. There is a there is a day, there is a park, uh, and there is several years of music festival built around Chuck Brown. Uh, I would be remiss in talking about go-go music and not talking about the other song that familiarized me with this music, and that is a song that Paul and I were talking about before we came out on stage, and that is the butt. <laughs> Oh my. <laughs> this this is how I fell in love with Griffin. Is these this face and these moves? <laughs> Oh man, we're not going to get to that for a while, are we? <laughs> can you ju- sorry, Paul? Can you scrabble forward to debut, please? <laughs> if we can turn debut down now, <laughs> thank you. I was getting a weird Doppler effect on debut, and so it was. I was getting it in like halftime. Also, it was a, a, a really. I had a dream like that once, also. <laughs> Um, uh, so in February 2020, Gogo was named the official music of Washington, D.C. in a unanimous vote by oh, wow. District City Council. Uh, and I love it. A plus. A+. I love it too. A plus. Great job to butt. Um, I, I, we, are, we went pretty hard on our first two subjects. I'm okay. going to turn my next one into okay. a mini subject because I think we can really get through this pretty fast. Um, I want to talk about Initiative 71. Y'all realize it's, it's very, very silly, right? We can all agree. Like, I'm not complaining, but it's a little bit silly. If you don't, who here uh, doesn't know what that is? <laughs> I thought you were going to make everybody, like, out themselves as drug users. <laughs> who here? I'll make this very brief. You can't sell weed to people in Washington, D.C., but you can sell them a sticker. <laughs> that's about it. That's all initiative. That's all you really need to know. If you go to a weed store and say, one sticker, please. Uh, <laughs> I will say this was very exciting to us, having come from the state of Texas. Yeah, where it's, you don't, stickers are illegal in Texas. <laughs> It's silly to me, especially now that Maryland just passed recreational. Right? Great, great work all. Uh, that pretty much, no matter where you are in D.C. at any given moment, if you break out into a full dead sprint in any direction, eventually you'll be in a place where you can just go ahead and not even need to worry about the sticker part. Just do the weed part. 
I am burning through our savings on just the stickers of them. <laughs> I don't know why these stickers cost 70 fucking dollars. Griffin? Yeah. You know what's a shame? What? Is that when you order uh, meals to be delivered to you, they can only be for dinner. That's true because of the law. But wait, wait, what's this coming across our desk? The law is different now? <laughs> it's Factor. These rebels are operating outside the boundaries of food law. <laughs> Factor has breakfast. They have midday bites. They have smoothies. Uh, there's lots of stuff you can get with Factor. What other things can you get with Factor? Well, I'm looking at this menu right now. They got a lot of tasty little options for you. I'm talking about artichoke and spinach chicken with roasted zucchini and tomato butter. Did you even know that butter could be tomato? <laughs> Not me. Shredded chicken and loaded mashed taters with, I changed the word. They say potatoes, but I said taters, precious. With mushroom <laughs> gravy, smoked cheddar, uh, bacon, and Parmesan broccoli. Uh, this, this menu is out of sight, and my mouth is just watering looking at these glossy JPEGs of tasty food. So head to factormeals.com slash wonderful50 and use code wonderful50 to get 50% off. That's code wonderful50 at factormeals.com slash wonderful50 to get 50% off. It can be intimidating trying to roll with the console cowboys in cyberspace. Um, there's always the worry that maybe they know something that you don't vis-a-vis um, website design or website functionality, and you think, that I could never be that. I could never be among their illustrious ranks. Griffin, if I wanted to build a website where I ranked my favorite episodes of Ghostwriter, would I be able to do that? Well, first of all, it would be the same list as everybody else's with the Julia <laughs> Styles episode at the top. But yes, you can do that with Squarespace. It's the all-in-one platform for building your brand and growing your business online. Every Squarespace website and online store comes with a suite of integrated features and useful guides that help maximize prominence among search results. Do you want to have special functionality, like maybe a members-only VIP club section of your website? You can do that. Do you want to sell stuff? Yeah, you can do that too. Do you want to have an online scheduler so that people you can, you can sell uh, your time yeah you can do that also anything is possible that's um th- for the commercial the Super Bowl commercial they had that was my voice yelling anything is possible in the wow background. yeah not a lot of people know that hey head to squarespace.com slash wonderful pod for a free trial and when you're ready to launch use offer code wonderful pod to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain Manolo, guess what? Manolo, guess what? What, what, what? Dr. Game Show has made it to 100 episodes on Maximum Fun. Oh, that's true. I knew that. Well, to celebrate, we are releasing our entire Earwolf archives to Max Fun members. That's anyone who gives $5 or more monthly to support podcasts like Dr. Game Show. That's 63 episodes with in-studio comedian guests like Jason Manzoukas, Bowen Yang and Matt Rogers, Joe Para, Todd Berry and Janine Garofalo, Connor O'Malley, Chris Gell- and more. Plus three bonus episodes that include two pilot episodes. Wow, two pilots must be good. Find the feed at MaximumFun.org slash BOCO, B-O-C-O. Stands for bonus content. Mm-hmm. Presenting the new MaxFunStore.com. We've got shirts for your torso, hats for your head, drinkware for your finest beverages, and so much more. Starring your favorite Max Fun shows with new and classic designs. Find the perfect gift for the podcast fan in your life. 
Heck, that could be you. We're not judging. Head to MaxFunStore.com now. That's MaxFunStore.com. What I really want to talk about is um, I love it when uh, like cities and states and regions have like official local symbols like in a bunch of different categories. And now that we lived in D.C., like I want to learn some of the big ones here, like D.C.'s official tree. You would think cherry blossom. It's a scarlet oak, you know, uh, official fruits, the cherry, of course, official bird is the wood thrush, official dinosaur is the capital saurus, like normal stuff like... <laughs> Griffin, you're not pausing for applause after each of these. Oh, I was doing a joke structure where I tried to slip official dinosaur as the capital saurus in there. Um, DC has an official dinosaur called the capital saurus, and the story behind this is very good to me. In 1898, workers were building the sewers beneath DC because they had just invented them, and... <laughs> Someone found a single vertebra from the base of some dinosaur's tail in the rock and a few other sort of non-important bone chunks. In 1911, a paleontologist named Richard Swan Lull uh, named the dinosaur it belonged to the Creosaurus potens, theorizing, oh, this is a theropod like the T-Rex from 110 million years ago, right in, that, right in the Cretaceous period. Ten years after that, Smithsonian paleontologist Charles Gilmore was like, mm, actually, uh, that appears to be a Dryptosaurus just... fossil discovered in New Jersey at the end of the 19th century. And so paleontologists were just like bickering, like, rah, 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 rah. in 1990, a local uh, paleontologist named Peter Kranz united all of the world's <laughs> paleontological society mm -hmm. um, when he did an interview with the Washingtonian and said that it came from the capital Saurus. <laughs> every other paleontologist in the world was like, well, that's, that's, <laughs> that's not, like, we disagree, but we know that's not it, right, Peter? <laughs> he tried to get this going. The Smithsonian refused to acknowledge this heroic <laughs> discovery, saying, unfortunately, this specimen was used to try to name a new genus, Capital Saurus, in honor of the nation's capital. This is not scientifically justified, and the name Capital Saurus has no validity. So then Peter Kranz made a move that I feel like has big Capital Saurus energy, <laughs> where he went to the D.C. Council, and he was like, y'all have to recognize that this is from a dinosaur named the Capital Saurus, which is like an even bigger, more badass T-Rex. <laughs> And so in 1998, the official Dinosaur Designation Act of 1998 oh was passed. Oh, my God. We used to be able to get stuff done, you we know? We did. <laughs> uh, it is a long resolution. I will read some of the highlights. <laughs> the Capitosaurus was a large meat-eating reptile, which may be the ancestor of the, in parentheses, Tyrannosaurus rex. <laughs> did you originally write ancestor of the rex? You know the one. About 100 million. This isn't. It, this thing starts with be it enacted by the Council of the District of Columbia. About 100 million years ago, the Capital Saurus lived in the District of Columbia with many other dinosaurs, including herbivores. <laughs> what? Yeah, of course. Like, yeah, sure. <laughs> uh. <laughs> the uh, so one smart thing Peter Kranz did is he teamed up with local elementary schools to petition the, the DC oh council which like you can't say no to them just bags and bags of letters placed on that desk uh, it all ends with the capital Saurus shall be the official dinosaur of the District of Columbia. Not just that if you ever find yourself at first and F Street you will uh, find 
where they discovered this fossil. It has been named Capital Saurus Court. There is a sign hanging over the intersection uh, declaring it as such. January 28th, the day it was discovered, also Capital Saurus Day. And to this day, the world's top dinosaur scientists are like, <laughs> what are you doing? That's beautiful. In 2010, in an interview, Peter Kranz said, to say we have a dinosaur here in Washington, it's a piece of city pride and educational inspiration. Local kids ask me all the time, do we have a T-Rex here? And the answer is basically yes. <laughs> That's the capital Saurus. My next thing is a trip to the Poetry Corner. Oh, sorry. I was waiting. I don't know what I was. I was waiting for the actual Frasier theme song to play. I see Paul panicking over there. Boom, 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 boom. Hey, baby, hear the Poetry Corner. Toss salad and scrambled eggs. I'm thinking about that large percentage of people that have never listened to our show before that are just oh, right. unbelievably confused. That's all right. There's some diehards out there that are rolling right now. <laughs> uh, I mean, the background behind this is that uh, I took out loans to attend graduate school to study poetry, and so I have worked it into this podcast yeah. very it's tax, deliberately. It's a tax write-off. <laughs> Uh, so I wanted to take advantage of the broader DMV area to talk about the Poet Laureate of Maryland, which is Grace Cavalieri. Okay. No, wait, wait is that cheer for Maryland or the poet? Both. <laughs> uh, I like the poet, but fucking hate the state. <laughs> it's an amazing state. Stop it. You know that. Um, so you may know Grace Cavalieri because she is the longtime host of a radio show slash now podcast called The Poet and the Poem, which has been around for over 40 years. Wow. Uh, I, for real, didn't know there was that much poetry. <laughs> I guess they're making more of this stuff every day. <laughs> She, on her show, she has had over 2,500 poets in 42 years. So, right? Uh, yeah, again, same point. Didn't know there were that, <laughs> that many poets. I guess there's a lot of people on Earth. <laughs> Some of them got to be poets. <laughs> That's beautiful. Uh, <laughs> Uh, so not, is she, not only is she the host of that show, she has written 26 books uh, and 26 plays. Uh, and yeah, this podcast is still going. The most recent episode was published November 5th. Uh, each episode is like 30 minutes long. I would recommend if you are a poetry enthusiast. Uh, I recently listened to an episode that had Ada Limone on it. Mm -hmm. uh, and gosh, man, I love that, guys. <laughs> I love that I can say a poet's name into a microphone and people cheer. Yeah, sure. <laughs> um, she is 90 years old. She's incredible. Her whole focus of getting this radio show, uh, she approached the uh, radio station manager. She found out there was going to be a new station, and she brought poets with her, and she had them read aloud to the station manager and said, this needs to be a show. Wow. <laughs> Uh, and that was in 1977. Uh, and then she had a weekly show on in primetime uh, and went live regionally. And then now the Library of Congress puts it out. And so she is national. 
uh, and that's been the case for 22 years. Now, why do you think it is that the Library of Congress does not publish our shows? <laughs> Probably because then it gets stole up by Nicolas Cage and all of his thieving cronies. <laughs> it's, it's your conspiracy theories, Griffin. Yeah, That's what every episode of all of our shows actually do have Max <laughs> in them. You just haven't decoded it yet. All the clues are there. <laughs> So I read an interview with her uh, in the NEA Artworks podcast 2019. Uh, I read the transcript, rather. And she talks about playwriting versus writing poetry. Uh, And I thought it was interesting because she talks about how playwriting is very collaborative. Uh, Everybody's kind of a part of making it better. Um, But she says, uh, quote, poetry, nothing's at stake because there's no stall in the marketplace. Nobody wants it. (laughs) (laughs) You can write it, but that doesn't mean anyone has to read it. (laughs) It is the most freeing, meditative part of my life. It is when I know who I am and finding out who I am as I go through the poem. It is truly an act of self-discovery. It is a very interior process, and if someone publishes it, that's wonderful. And if someone reads it, you can't believe your good luck because that's not why you write it. Wow. Isn't that lovely? That wasn't even the poem. (laughs) Uh, So I wanted to read a poem of hers uh, that I just found really charming. Um, You know, as a 90-year-old woman, she has a lot of stories from her childhood that are just of a completely different experience than we have now. Uh, And so I wanted to read the poem, uh, and it is going to sound funny, but I I want to communicate that it is very sincere. It is called The Hot Dog Factory. Rachel, (laughs) I can't believe you've done this to me. Babe, the hot dog factory. (laughs) If there isn't one episode of one of our shows titled The Hot Dog Factory, I will be, I will be. We have talked about hot dogs quite a bit on this show. We do like a hot dog around these parts. Okay, The Hot Dog Factory. I hope I don't get hungry. (laughs) Probably going to use fancy descriptive words. Of course now children take it for granted, but once we watched boxes on a conveyor belt sliding by, magically filled and closed, packed and wrapped, we couldn't get enough of it running alongside the machine. In kindergarten, Miss Haynes walked our class down Stuyvesant Avenue, then up Prospect Street to the hot dog factory. Only the girls got to go as the boys were too wild. We stood in line, wiggling with excitement as the man talked about how they made hot dogs. Then he handed us one, and Jan dropped hers, so I broke mine in half. This was the happiest day of our lives. Children whose mothers didn't drive and had nowhere to go but school and home, to be taken to that street, to watch the glittering steel and shining rubber belts moving, moving meats ready-made, Wish I could talk with Jan, recalling the miracle and thrill of the hot dog factory when she was alive before it all stopped. Oh, one more line. <laughs> Bright lights, glistening motors, spinning wheels. <laughs> There was a pause after you read the poem, and I realized now it's, they were all waiting for that last line. 
Because everyone knows this by heart. I will also admit that I thought at one point in the poem would be like, and then Jimmy got pulled into the gears <laughs> and became hot dogs. It was 1931, so he became hot dogs. And everyone was like, ah, man. Some say there's a little bit of Jimmy. Uh, <laughs> uh, I, I found that poem so charming. Not only does it speak to like big field trip energy, which you know I love. I love a field trip. Especially, I've never gone anywhere remotely as cool as the hot dog factory. <laughs> Um, but, but just the, like the sincerity of it and like the genuine joy and something that she could very easily, if she were a more cynical person, kind of poke fun at. Oh, for sure. There's a version of that poem where they're like, they showed us how they make the hot dog. And then they were like, do you want a hot dog? And I was like, are you fucking kidding me? (laughs) And I just watched it. Do you know the phrase how the sausage gets made? And us stupid kids thought it was so cool. <laughs> no, I just it's a very charming poem, and it's very sincere and beautiful. And if you have not checked out Grace Cavalieri, I would recommend it. Now you know. Now you now know. Now you know to do that. That's it for us. Thank you to Bowen and Augustus for the use of our theme song, Money Won't Pay. It is a, a bop. Thank you to Paul. Uh, and, thank you, Paul. And uh, thank you to the, to the DAR Constitution Hall for having us. It's a lovely venue. We're so happy to be back here. And thank you, DC, for having us yes. here as your newest, your newest residents. I don't have a funny outro. Yeah, see, this is the problem, is that we don't have an outro. So instead, we can hype up the next act... That well, or wait, the dad's gonna come out and do an intro. <laughs> so everyone, <laughs> start your engines and get revved for Clint McElroy. Bye, everybody. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.